Well, if we could be honest, sometimes the relationships with our siblings, they can be complicated. My brother and I, we're great friends now, but let's just say there was a little bit of a scuffle going on often when we were growing up. I'll never forget one time uh, we were doing homework around the kitchen table and I was probably running my mouth and I upset him. He got up from the table and grabbed a Saxon math book, a really thick hardback math book. And when I wasn't looking from behind, he hit me in the head with it. I mean, I turned around. He was already running down the hallway, locked himself in the bathroom. And I'll never forget like, you know, with my shoulder elbowing open the breaking the bathroom door and just seeing the look on his face, face of pure terror. I will never, ever forget it. Best part of this story, I was the first child and uh, I didn't get really in any trouble for breaking the door. My brother got in trouble for hitting me with the math book. So that's just the way it rolls sometimes. First kid privileges, I guess. But we're great friends now, but maybe you have complicated relationship with your brother or sister as well. And what we're doing throughout these next five weeks is that we're going to dive in to a letter that was written to Christ followers in the first century called the book of James. And it was written by Jesus' half-brother, his younger brother, James. And what's fascinating about James is that uh, when Jesus was alive and doing his ministry for three years, James was nowhere to be found. I mean, can you imagine hearing that your brother thought he was the Messiah? I mean, you would have thought he was crazy. Can you imagine how difficult it was for James growing up? Um, J James, why don't you just, could you just please be more like your brother Jesus? And James like, this is impossible to live up to. But something that's fascinating about James and Jesus is, again, he was nowhere to be found when Jesus was alive. But after Jesus died, everything changed. I mean, G James became a leader in the early church. And it must be because he experienced and saw and met his resurrected brother. And that changed everything for James. Let me ask you this question. What would it take for you to call your brother or your sister your Lord? Yeah, it would take a resurrection. It would take a miracle, right? And that's what happened with James. So the book of James is where we're going to be hanging out these next five weeks, written by the brother of Jesus. And it's known for its really practical wisdom. It's actionable commands for us to live. Some people call it the Proverbs of the New Testament. And it's really, really great. We're going to be doing reading plans throughout the week over these next five weeks, reading the book of James through lots of different lenses because it's only five chapters long. And it's really practical stuff. And James starts the letter uh, with this verse here, which I thought was very apropos for where we are in our cultural moment as well. James says this. He says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. He's doing the intro to his letter and he's saying, hey, uh, these people, these Jewish Christians, they're scattered among the nations. In other words, Life is not peachy for these early Jesus followers, that there's a struggle going on. They're scattered. They're not gathered together into one place. Does that sound familiar to you at all? It's just like what we're experiencing today where we're not able to gather all together in one place, but we're scattered in our homes. And so what James is going to do is he's going to give some practical wisdom, some challenges for them to live out their faith and for them to not just see with their nose pressed up against the TV, but a widescreen view of what God's doing. And he's going to challenge them to grow to be mature, to grow to be uh, not just immature baby Christians, but to go to 301, 401 level Christianity and what that really looks like in our lives is what he's going to challenge these early Jesus followers to live out. 
In each chapter, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some roadblocks, some things that get in the way of us becoming mature, becoming 301, 401 level Christians. And so that's what we're going to do over the next five weeks. Look at these roadblocks that James gives us, these challenges to overcome. And the one we're going to look at today is one that I know everybody's excited to talk about. We're going to talk about this word here, temptation, temptation. Now, that sounds fun, right? I mean, some of you are already feeling guilty. You're already thinking about clicking out away from this message because you don't want to talk about the things that tempt you. I mean, but temptation, it's something that affects all of us and it looks different to all of us as well, but we're all tempted. I mean, do you guys remember going to Mexican restaurants or maybe you ventured out to go to a Mexican restaurant now? I mean, one of the biggest temptations is not to eat the entire basket of chips and salsa, right? I mean, that is like a big test, a big temptation to do that. Maybe for you, temptation is trying not to hit that buy now button on your Amazon app for that thing you don't really need but would be cool to have. That buy now button is a temptation for you. Maybe for you, it's a little uh, more ethereal. Maybe it's for you, it's comparing yourselves to other people. You see people's highlights that they post on social media or that they share and you're like, oh, my husband, my wife's not like that. Our house isn't like that. Our kids aren't like that. And you compare yourself to others and you're tempted to do that. And it just belittles you and makes you feel so much smaller and less than. Maybe for you, you're tempted to lie, to cheat, to bend the truth, to get out of something. Uh, you just don't want to really have that hard situation or that hard conversation. And so you just like bend the truth, twist the truth. Um, don't tell the whole truth, but just a little bit of it. And you're tempted to do that in your life. Maybe for you, you're tempted to let your eyes or to let your heart wander to someone or something that you know is not good for you. You let your eyes and your heart wander to another person if you're married or to something on the internet that you know is not what you want to be looking at. It's not something that you'd be proud of, of looking at, but you still go to it over and over again. You guys, we are all tempted in many different ways. It's not an if we are tempted situation. It's a when we are tempted and why and what tempts us the most. That's the real question that we need to wrestle with. So what we're going to do, we're going to dive right into James chapter 1. We're going to move down to verse 13. And this is what James says as he kicks off this section about temptation. He says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and God himself tempts no one. James wants to set the record straight as he's talking about temptation, that it is not your heavenly father who tempts you. He doesn't bring evil into your life and he doesn't put things in front of you to tempt you at all. We can't throw God under the bus for our temptations in other words. We can't say that God's the one behind our temptation. So, I mean, you hear people say this all the time. Well, God just made me this way and it's just my temptation. And that's not really truth. That's not really what's going on here. So James is saying, hey, I want to let, set the record straight that God's not the one behind your temptations. So don't throw God under the bus for your temptations. It comes from somebody else. And he tells us in the very next verse where our temptations come from. But he says this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. I love that phrase, lured and enticed. The, the word in the Greek language, the original language this was written in for the word enticed is a fishing term. It's a hunting term to try to draw out the prey from their safe place so that they could be caught by a hunter. You know, it's sort of like this um, 
Paul is, or James is saying, this idea of temptation, it's like being lured or enticed in hunting or in fishing. And so maybe it's a little bit like this, like the great movie Finding Nemo tells us temptation is lured and enticed. Check this out. Do you see anything? I see a, I see a light. A light? Yeah, over there. Hey, conscience, am I dead? Oh, I, I, I see it too. What is it? It's so pretty. I, I'm feeling happy, which is a big deal for me. I want to touch it. Oh. Hey, come back. <laughs> come on back here. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get I'm you. I'm going to swim with you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to be your best friend. Good feelings gone. Good feelings gone, right? That's the way it always feels when we fall for temptation. And that's kind of cute. That's kind of funny. But we've all had experiences in our life where we are lured and enticed. And we would do anything to take back that decision, to take that bait, and to fall into that temptation. Maybe for you, you started letting your mind wander to what being with them would be like instead of being with your spouse and man you wish you could take that back maybe for you you started letting your eyes wander and experience things on the internet or on your phone that you wish you could take back or maybe for you you started spending more money on things that you couldn't afford and you didn't really need and now you're looking at all this debt and you wish you could take it back and not take that bait and being enticed into this temptation or maybe for you you started drinking just a few more because you were just like so tired and you felt like this is the way that you could really relax but that turned into a few more and more and more and now you're just out of control or maybe you started comparing yourself to where they are in life and now you can't stop checking their social media and thinking about what they're experiencing and man you wish you could take it back my friends, we are all tempted into things that take us away from joy, peace, satisfaction, and contentment and identity that God longs for us to have. And we all wish we could go back and not fall for the trap again. We're all lured and enticed. James says next in verses 14 and 15, just to backtrack a little bit, he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I mean, James uses an illustration of human life all the way from conception to, to birth and then death. And he says that this is what happens. You might think it's just a little small thing, this temptation, this luring and being enticed to this thing that's not good for us. You might think it's small, but it grows into a human. It, then it goes all the way and it kills you at the end. James is trying to get the point across that these temptations, they can destroy us. They can take us away from the life that God dreams for us to have. They can take us to a less than life that God doesn't desire for us to live at all. This is serious stuff, serious language. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you wish you could go back and not take the bait that temptation laid before you. Now, there's a couple things I want us to understand before we move on in this passage. 
talk about this temptation. And this is what's true. We'll put this up on the screen for you. But where there is a temptation, there is a tempter. Where there is temptation, there is a tempter. Now, he doesn't get a lot of airtime in churches or in our culture, but there is an enemy. There is an evil one who wants to destroy you. I mean, you might call him the devil. You might call him Satan. You might have all these funny pictures in your mind about what he looks like and what a caricature of a devil pops into your mind. But there is a real enemy. That's what the scriptures teach us. And that's what James is talking about. Who he's talking about is luring us and enticing us. I mean, the idea of Satan, it actually means directly in the Old Testament, means the adversary. Or in other places, it's called the accuser. The Satan is the accuser, accusing us, condemning us. Jesus in the New Testament talked about Satan as the adversary, and he called him a liar. He actually called him a master of lies. In John chapter 8, verse 44, the second part of that verse, Jesus says this, that he was a murderer. Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. My friends, you have an enemy that you can't see, but we have all experienced one way or another, and he is called Satan. He's the accuser, the adversary to things that are good. And he's the father of lies. And he is trying to lure you or entice you to make decisions that will destroy you and destroy God's dream for your life. I mean, sometimes I think our greatest problem with temptation is that we get so distracted by the busyness of our lives that we forget that there is a real enemy who wants us to run away from the God who loves us and the good that God has for us. We can, can we remember from the movie Usual Suspects what Kaiser Soze, or was it Roger Kent? I'm not quite sure, right? But he said this, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Because if the world doesn't believe that the devil or Satan exists, then they won't take seriously his tactics and his plan to tempt us. So I want you to understand that there is an enemy, that where there is temptation, there is a tempter. And this tempter, I want you to understand this, has many different tactics to tempt us into making decisions that we'll regret later. I mean, think of it this way. When you go fishing, if you've gone fishing lately or it's been a long time, uh, to try to entice and lure the fish to bite onto the hook, we do lots of things. When we put a worm there, that's food, but a lot of people use crazy lures to entice a fish to do this because they think they won't just bite onto the hook with a worm. They need to have something shiny coming at them. I found some funny lures online here, right here. We have the bush beer lure for all those um, college fish that that's the only kind of beer that they can afford. Hipster fish would never bite onto this at all, right? And then we have the taco lure um, because I guess this is the I don't understand if fish like tacos. Of course they do, because who doesn't like tacos? And maybe they can combine the beer and the taco lure together, and that's like a great meal for anybody or any fish. But these are kind of ridiculous lures that we think will entice fish to bite on to our hook, right? I believe that the enemy, the Satan, is trying to use lots of different tactics and lures to entice us to take a step into temptation as well. 
So we need to ask ourselves the question. I want to ask you this morning, what is it that the enemy might use to lure you, to entice you, to bite um, onto that temptation that he's put in front of you? Maybe for you, um, you just really need to be loved. You have this desire to be loved and you want it more than anything else and you would do anything to be loved. Maybe the enemy is going to push that button to lure you. Maybe for you it's success or it's status. And so you'll throw an elbow, you'll hurt people, you'll cut corners, you'll lie to people so that you get bumped up on the totem pole in your career so that you have more influence. And the enemy is going to use that reality that you want success and status so much that he will tempt you to do terrible things. Maybe for you it's security. You feel like you just don't ever have enough in your account and you're holding on to things, white knuckling things so tightly so that you are secure. And maybe the enemy is tempting you with your desire for security. Or maybe the enemy will use the reality that you like to get a little buzz of whatever it takes so that you can take an edge off. And so you're using substances that you know you shouldn't use at a rate that you know you shouldn't use them just so that you can feel numb. And the enemy knows that you want to feel numb so much that he'll tempt you to go over the edge in lots of different ways. You guys, the tempter has many different tactics, and we need to understand what he uses on us. Which leads me to another note here, just a little bit of a sidebar, that we should not be caught judging other people for what they uh, what we might actually struggle with as a temptation. I mean, a lot of times we'll point at other people and yell at people or judge them or talk behind their back about things that they do, but maybe, just maybe, they aren't tempted by the same things we are because our tempter, he uses many different tactics. So maybe they can play a little bit of poker. Maybe they can have a few drinks. Maybe they can watch this movie without their mind wandering to dark places. Don't judge other people because you are probably tempted in a different way than they are. Because the tempter uses many different tactics. So where there is a temptation, there is a tempter. We do have an enemy. And this tempter, he uses many tactics to get us to bite onto the bait of our temptations. Let's continue back into the passage in James 1. James says this in verse 16 and 17. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James is pleading with everybody who's reading this letter to us today, do not be deceived, do not fall for the temptation that the tempter puts before us. He says this so clearly and so strongly, do not be deceived. And he points out that our God is a good father. He says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Everything good in your life is not random. It's not anything that you have worked for in this American dream, kind of American, I can do it and so I did it and so I deserve it mentality. No, he says that everything good in our lives is a gift from him. Think of it this way. Your family, it's a gift from your heavenly father. Your job and your income is a gift from your heavenly father. The gift of laughter, it comes from God. The gift of shelter in your home, a car that works, it's all a gift from God. The music of the 
the great Irish band U2, definitely a gift from God. The relationship of Jim and Pam from the office, definitely a gift from God, right? I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And James says here, coming down from the father of lights, which is an illustration pointing back to the creation narrative and how God hung stars in the sky to light our world and to light our way. And then James uses this illustration. He says that there's no variation or shadow in who he is because he never changes. He is good always. And so he's begging us, do not be deceived by the tempter, the father of lies. Trust your good father who only brings good things to you. I've often heard it said this way. I don't know who said it first. Definitely wasn't me. But this is so true that God wants something for you, not to take something from you. Our God, his, his character, his attitude is that he wants to give something to you. He wants something for you. He wants you to thrive. He wants to see you succeed and be all that you were created to be in this life. And so he doesn't want to take things from you unless those things are things that hurt you and take away from your, your thriving and your growth and your development. Don't ever mistake that our God is a good father who wants something for you. And we can trust him and not be deceived by him and trust to not be deceived by the tempter, by the enemy, by Satan. And we need to trust our good God who wants something for you. You know, more often than not, when we think about temptations, we don't sit down and think, you know, this is a terrible decision. I think I'm going to fall for this temptation today. No, we don't think that. We drift into it. We get tired and we just make silly decisions and we just fall into it accidentally more often than not. And we, we say, well, I know it's not good for me, but it's just something that kind of happens. It's an unconscious slip that we make into temptation. When we, my wife and I, we moved from our first home that we lived in back in 2013. One day, a couple like weeks later after work, I just got on autopilot and instead of turning left to go to our new house, I actually turned all the way into our old neighborhood, turned into the driveway and actually got out of my car at our old house. And it was just an unconscious slip. And I it was like walking to the front door and I saw the people that were living there looking at me and I'm like, oh, this is awkward. And I just again, awkwardly got back into my car and drove off. And I'll be honest with you, it wasn't the only time that I did that because I forgot where I lived. I think often temptation works that way as well. You know, that we just keep going back to what we know and we just unconsciously we slip back into what we did. And so the goal for us, for us to have growth and not falling for temptation is for us to look at our life and say, I used to live there but I don't live there anymore. I'm making a choice to follow Jesus. I'm making a choice to choose God's best for me, to believe that he's got something for me. And I'm gonna take that left turn instead of continuing going straight back into my old ways. We've gotta say, I don't live there anymore. That's the choice that we have to make. And for us to be mature, to be grown up, to be 301, 401 level Christ followers, we've gotta make some choices to stop falling into temptation. So I wanna give us some really practical steps here to challenge us to not fall into temptation, but to choose God's best for our lives. So here's the first choice that we have to make. I wanna challenge you to choose to invite God into your temptations. Choose to invite your heavenly father into your temptations. More often than not, what do we do when we're tempted? We hide. We hide it from others. We don't even admit it to ourselves and we definitely hide it from God. 
But I want to encourage you, challenge you to choose to invite God into your temptations, those areas of your life where you're being tempted to make bad decisions. Here's a newsflash to you, maybe, but God already knows that thing that's tempting you, and he already knows if you've fallen into temptation. You're not shocking him at all. But when we invite him in, we find a God who doesn't wag the finger at us, but he says, I am here to help. I want to give you grace. I want to give you a different way. And I already know you're struggling. I'm a good father that will pick you up and show you a different path. I have better for you. That's what your heavenly father says to you. So don't hide. Choose to invite God into your temptations. Ask him to show and illuminate the better that he has for you. So invite him in. The next challenge I want to give you is this, for you to choose to replace instead of remove. With our temptations, we've got to choose to replace instead of just remove. If I tell you this, don't think about elephants, don't think about elephants, don't think about elephants, what do you do? Yeah, you're thinking about elephants right now. It's almost like when somebody says you just need to not do something, it deepens it, ingrains it into our mind, into our hearts, and we think about it even more, even when I say don't think about elephants. It's just the way that we're wired. I think about with my son, Jack. If he gets a hold of one of our cell phones, which he loves to do because he loves looking at the screen, he feels powerful walking around with one of our phones. I mean, he's like a bug to a light. He is drawn to it and you are in big trouble if you just simply try to remove the phone from him. If you try to just take the phone from him, he throws a fit. So this is some like 400 level parenting stuff, but instead when I take my phone from him after he snagged it, I give him another toy, maybe something that plays some music or something that's got some bright lights on it and removing it and replacing it, he usually doesn't throw a fit the same way. And maybe that's terrible parenting. I think it's ingenious, but this is what we've got to do in our lives as well. If we want to move past our temptation, we can't simply just say, I'm going to stop doing it it just doesn't work. We think about it more and more. We need to replace um, what we were being tempted with, with something that is healthy for us. So if it's a time of night that you are tempted to do stupid things and fall into temptation, find ways to redeem that time. Find ways to have a different hobby, a different activity going on during that time. Don't just say, I'm going to stop doing stupid stuff at this time of night. Maybe for you, it's a group of friends. Maybe it's a group of friends that you hang out with and you realize that when you hang out with them, you make terrible decisions. You fall into temptation and you always regret it. So maybe for you, you should find some new friends. (laughs) Maybe not just hang out with the bad idea friends, but hang out with friends that can help you live into the life that you want to have and that God dreams for you to have. Maybe for you, it's certain thought patterns that are going on here. And instead of just living into those patterns all the time or just saying, I'm not going to think about this anymore. Instead of doing that, think, oh, I'm going to put some different thought patterns into my head. Hey, maybe read a good book. Read a book that gives you a different perspective. Or maybe check out and focus some scriptures. Read in our James reading plan that we're going to have posted this week to get some of God's unchanging truth in front of you so that it changes your thought patterns and the way you think about yourself. I want to challenge you to choose to replace instead of just removing the temptation around you because that's how we really get down the road in our growth. And the last thing I want to challenge you to do is I want to challenge you to choose accountability. Choose accountability. Now, when you hear the word accountability, you might be like me and it sounds punitive. It sounds like someone's like checking in on us like a parole officer. But actually, accountability is just an effect of being in community and having true connection with other people. 
I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I believe more than ever that we are hardwired by our Heavenly Father. We were created to be social creatures. We were created for connection. I mean, doesn't this pandemic show us how hungry we are for real connection? I actually went out to lunch with a friend last week for the very first time inside a restaurant. And it was crazy. I was like high. I was like giddy sitting talking to him because I was out at a restaurant because I just missed it so much. Thanks, Kyle, for having lunch with me, right? I mean, it was so good. I believe that we were created for this. And like I said, one of the great features of being connected is that if we're in a healthy relationship, we have accountability inside of it. Accountability is not a dirty word. It's actually a gift. The second wisest man who ever lived, the guy next to Jesus, the wisest man ever, was this guy named Solomon. He wrote this in this Old Testament wisdom literature called Ecclesiastes. In chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 and verse 12, he says this, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. He says in verse 12, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. I love this so much because we see how having somebody with you, having another person running with you, how it can help you pick you up when you fall, but also can help you be on offense as well to fend off attackers and you can actually take them down as well. We need others to help us through life. And actually, science agrees with this. I mean, in recent studies, behavioral scientists and neuroscientists have found that the idea of willpower, just always choosing the right thing. It's actually a finite resource. It actually runs out. It's like a muscle that can get too tired and then we just collapse. And we need other people to encourage us and to let us borrow their willpower to be around people that are trying to make the right decisions as well. When we're tired, we borrow from them and they loan us their willpower. And this is just the way that we were created. We need each other to help us make the right decision. And if the other effect works as well, if we have the wrong people around us, we choose more of the wrong decision as well. We need each other because our willpower is a finite resource. I mean, this is one of the reasons why during this pandemic, we started our group life, our online table groups, way before we were planning on doing it. Because we knew that people were going to feel more isolated than ever. I mean, right now we have 10 online table groups going, and I was in a men's group this last week, and people were getting real. I mean, it wasn't like everybody airing their darkest, deepest secrets, but people were getting real. Somebody said they were just in a funk, and they felt like they were kind of in a depression. Other people felt like they were distant from God, or they were angry at God. And I love so much that we were able to encourage each other and follow up with each other and let them know that they weren't alone in this men's group. And that's why it's so important for us to be connected. And if you haven't tried out one of our online table groups yet, man, I would encourage you to do that. We have 10 groups going right now, and you can hop in men's and women's groups. They meet over Zoom, which is not like face-to-face, but it still does a pretty good job. And actually, if you're interested in trying one of those out, you can text the message GROUP to that number 765-375-1883, and we would love to connect with you and help you take your next step. Text the word GROUP to 765-375-1883. But I wanna challenge you to choose accountability. Get some people around you that are running in the same direction as you, and they can pick you up when you fall. They can help you understand how they've gotten out of maybe some of the same temptations, but we need each other so that we don't fall into temptation. 
You guys, temptation is something that hits all of us. It's not an if, it's a when, and it's a why, and it's a what situation going on. But I want you to understand this about temptation, that Jesus himself, he understands what you're going through. He is a realist in the truest sense. In the New Testament letter of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says this about Jesus and about the reality that we have of an empathetic God. He says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. They're saying Jesus is the high priest here. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. My friends, Jesus can empathize with you. He knows what you're going through and he wants to offer you a way out He wants to offer you the ability to thrive and not take the bait, not be enticed and lured by the tempter. And you know what? When we fall into temptation, he wants to offer you countless second chances and a way out. Let me ask you this question in closing. Where is your main area of temptation? What do you think the enemy is putting on the end of his hook to get you to make a decision that leads you to a less than life? Where is your main place of temptation in your life? And are you willing to invite your heavenly father, who's the giver of every good and perfect gift, into your temptation? Are you willing to invite him in? Are you willing to make the hard choices to choose accountability, to choose to replace instead of remove, and to choose to let God in? Are you willing to do that? Because that's where freedom comes from, and that's where maturity comes from because you don't have to stay stuck in your temptations.